I'm not friends with all my friends from Rita's Italian Ice anymore, and no one's getting mad at me. So what's the difference? Actually, I am mad at you for that, Quinn. Why aren't you friends with your shaved ice co-workers? Everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens, our podcast about feminism and pop culture. I'm Quinn. I'm Nellie. And I'm Pate. Today is bittersweet because after this week's episode, I'm no longer going to be a regular co-host on the show. I'm in my mind, I'm like inserting that clip of Mr. Krabs like playing a really tiny violin, but I am very sad. Um I'm moving to Wisconsin for my first big squirrel job, and y'all can't get rid of me that quickly, so I hope to still pop in and record episodes every now and again, but as I get settled at work and home, I'm going to transition from co-host to big, big fan. So I'm really sad, but I also can't wait to keep up with Nellie and Pate in their conversations each week and listen whilst I eat cheese and wear a parka. I'm also very excited for today's discussion because I was given the opportunity to choose the film, and I think we should all know where this is going. I, of course, selected The Cheetah Girls. Fun fact, I was obsessed with The Cheetah Girls, like I think a lot of young women my age were when it came out, like had a watch party when the second one was in theaters. I had at least three dance recital dances to various soundtracks of the Cheetah Girls. My first concert was the Cheetah Girls on tour. I love them. I love this film, and I am very excited to be talking about it with you all today. Oh, I'm emo. <laughs> um, big sad. Quinn is leaving us. Um, for those of you that are still lis- listening, um, thanks for staying. I imagine many of you clicked off when you heard that Quinn was leaving. <laughs> Big, big sad. Um, she is the heart of feminist heart fiends. Of feminist fiends. Um, I'm the bangs of feminist The bangs <laughs> of feminist fiends. But before we dig in, we'd like we'd first like to remind you to be politically active and engaged in social justice movements here in the states and around the world. After this week's shooting of Jacob Blake and the continued injustice plaguing Breonna Taylor's case and her family. It's time to keep our feet on the gas, hold one another accountable, and uplift and support the Black Lives Matter movement. One easy way to make your voice heard is to register to vote. The presidential election looms, but there are various state and local elections going around, going on around the country before November that will directly affect the ways in which our communities operate. If you're voting by mail, be sure to check when your ballot is due, set up a voting plan, and encourage your family, your friends and family to vote too. As always, please also stick around to the end of the episode for a few more action items from the three of us. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to our show on Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Feminist Fiends. We have some fun stuff planned, including a giveaway on our Instagram, and you won't want to miss out on it. Okay, that's enough self-promotion, so let's get into today's discussion of the iconic 2003 Disney masterpiece, The Cheetah Girls. Based off of author Deborah Gregory's book series with the same name, the Cheetah Girls film was written by Allison Taylor, directed by Oz Scott, and stars Raven Simone, Adrian Bailon, Keeley Williams, and Sabrina Bryan. 
The movie was wildly successful when it came out and spun two sequels in its wake. All three films are available for streaming on Disney+. And so now, let's get into our questions. Before we start, no, I, I, I'm happy to ask this first question, but I just okay. want to say, I didn't realize that The Cheetah Girls was originally a book. Yeah. I mean, I read Who knew? that we read for today, but that's crazy. Has anyone, I, shot, like, if any of our listeners have read The Cheetah Girls, I would like to know that. So, Quinn, have you read The Cheetah Girls? Here's the thing. I love my sister. I promise I'm a feminist. My sister does not read. That's okay. Like, reading is not her thing. But even Carson and Needham has read The Cheetah Girls. I'm really surprised and shocked by both of you. Um, That is formative literature. And... Well, to be fair, the movie came out in 2003. When we were five. <laughs> when I was five, almost six. When and I was reading Jigsaw Jones and Junie B. Jones. Like, I mean, I was simply not reading. That's the truth. I was, like, having books read to me. We but, were literally illiterate. And I'm like. Yeah, I was actually illiterate. Speak like, for yeah. yourself. I was reading Junie B. Jones, like I said. At five? Yeah. Okay, flex. I was Yeah, sorry. Are we Sorry, surprised that I did Christian school. My parents read this Judy B. Jones, and then I started reading them. I just liked reading, okay? Um, okay, tag yourself, which Judy girl are you? Um, I have opinions of who all of us are, but I want to hear y'all's first. I relate to Dorinda because, like, when I actually watched the Cheetah Girls, I'm going to be honest, I think I really watched the Cheetah Girls 2 first. Like, I didn't watch the Cheetah Girls until after I watched the Cheetah Girls 2. So when I watched Cheetah Girls 2, I really resonated with Dorinda because she was um, a shrimpy white girl that could dance. (laughs) Shrimpy and white. (laughs) Put that on my tombstone. Um, Shrimpy and white. I think that when I watched these movies as a child I was always assigned the role of Chanel like my sister and I played with the two sisters who live next door to us because we were all really similar in age and there were four of us and so since Carson is blonde and is a dancer that's my sister she was always Dorinda no one wanted to be Galleria so we gave it to the oldest girl And then no one wanted to be Aqua, which I am so embarrassed to say because now I am Aqua's biggest fan. But I was always Chanel when I was little. But watching this now, I think I'm Aqua. (laughs) Because she just is silly. She's so fun. And also calls people out on their shit, but is also too scared to call Galleria on her shit, which is like super on brand for me. So, Team Aqua. And Quinn, I know. So when I started watching the movie the other day, I texted y'all and I was like, I know I know who each of us are. And I'll, I was like, I'm going to see if my prediction changes throughout, the, if my opinion changes throughout the movie. And it didn't. But I really just like, basically with almost no mm, backing was just like, these are who all of us are. But I was kind of right. But Quinn, I know that you said you wanted to predict what I thought before I said it. Do you still want to do that or no? I, my guess is that your prediction is that you're Galleria because I saw which Enneagram you assigned to her in your notes. So that makes sense to me. I think that you think you're Galleria. You think Pate is Chanel and I'm Aqua. I just want to be Aqua. 
Okay, honestly, that is what I guess. That is literally what I said. Yeah, that's the exact one. So I literally, okay, here's my analysis. Um, Obviously, very hard on myself. I'm Galleria. I mean, I also feel like I do resonate with the characteristics of Galleria that are good. But I also feel like I resonate with, like, I think the things that we are hard on her for, I'm hard on myself for. And also criticism that I've received in the past of being, like, sometimes it's very much things that twos are told like they're told that they're manipulative and controlling and things like that and I'm like no I just want like us to succeed and for also for people to like me and for attention and we know that Galleria loves attention so um I feel like I connect with her I also like as I've said before in the podcast I do think that the typical strong woman um is often called like bossy or manipulative or a control freak which are characteristics that are really oftentimes used for women exclusively so that's why I'm like I'm just claiming the fact that I resonate with Galleria and deciding to like it because I think that it are like even though in this movie she definitely falls short a lot I resonate with her also like obviously Raven Simone is my queen and has been since a very young age Raven was one of the few um that's a Raven was one of the few shows that my mom like approved of me watching on Disney Channel. So fun fact. Um, and then Pete, I thought you were Chanel. I honestly can't remember why though, but I definitely It's because I'm sassy. Um, and I think like Chanel does so much for her friends. You would totally wipe the shit off my shoes. <laughs> but I wouldn't I treat you the way that Galleria does. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's nice. I just think you would do that. And also, I don't know. We can get a penthouse apartment together. Wait, okay. I feel like she kind of is like the glue of the friends. She is the glue you know? of the friends, which I think you, that's a role that you play a lot in your friend groups. Thank you. Um, Hot take. I think Chanel is, this might start a fight. I think she could go solo. She's yeah. so talented. Oh, yeah. That's a fruit. Well, that's what, that's basically the plot of the third movie. What? Oh, yeah. Fun fact, no, that's I watched the second plot. movie, right? Because she's like, I'm going to go sing with. It's also kind of the plot of the second movie. Yeah, you're right. Marisol. Marisol. And it's like, because she can speak Marisol. Spanish and she's the best singer. Sorry, but she's not the best dancer. And she no. can't write the lyric. No, and, like, and that's the thing is, is I do think Dorinda is, like, a really great character. And I think that I'd like to think that we all have some qualities of Dorinda. But I feel like when it came to, like, <laughs> matching us to people with the other one. Quinn, I think you're totally aqua. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can I just say like something? Like, big, big, like, like nerd this is, energy. Okay, I'm feeling a little bit offended now. Because when I think about it, when I started the film, Aqua was simply irrelevant to me. Like, finding her, finding her truth, finding her voice, finding her petticoats, finding her blue jumpsuit. That was a journey for me and, like, a journey of realization. But all my life I've been told that Aqua is the most irrelevant. See, I actually don't. I actually don't feel like, and and this might come from, I think, me – I feel like I grew up so much more with the Cheetah Girls too, and with yeah, so and weird. and even with One World almost more than with the first one. So I think for me, going into rewatching the movie and being like, "These are who we all are," I was like, I think I thought more highly of Aqua than. Okay. Um, so I, if anything, truthfully, I think that Dorinda is irrelevant until she is a big, big dancing star. So that's why I, I wasn't even though like I definitely like looked up to her as a kid I feel like the other three to me are more relevant 
Um, I think Aqua kind of gets like a bad like writing from the writers. Like, yeah, absolutely. The depth of her is that she's willing to take the subway to go rescue Toto. Like that's like the depth yeah. we get from her. And it's like, you know, she is way more than that. Like she is obviously super smart because she's taking trig at NYU and she's like moved from Texas to Manhattan. Like she, I feel like they could have done so much with that character and they just kind of like made her like the scary one that confronts Galleria and takes the subway. Right. And I don't so. think that scariness, I think that the ability to self-advocate Quinn is something that I think you are, like, it's something that I look up to you, like to you for doing, but um, just because I am personally very bad at it. And I think probably as twos and sixes in general, we're not very good at it, but I think compared to me, you're good at it. And then, so I, but I don't think you're, as nearly as um intense as aqua can be but I'll, when aqua wipes down the taxi um the taxi handle it reminded me of you with feet on your bed <laughs> <laughs> quinn does not like feet on her bed <laughs> morgan was when morgan was over this weekend i got out of the shower and she was laying across my bed and i was like pretending to be cool with it but i like the door open to make sure that her feet weren't on it <laughs> but they weren't and that is aqua wiping down my <laughs> taxi cab that is not why i thought you were her but then when i was watching it i was kind of like hmm. That's and do you like sleep with your feet hanging off the bed or no, she's something? fine with her no. own feet i so you're just giving thing. you a hard time lol i sleep with socks on and no I ch- way you're I wear, joking i wear three pairs of socks a day because I don't like when they get dirty and then I get in my bed. Okay, and that's the same. I'm keeping on. When that's I'm sorry. What is like your laundry bill? How many socks do you own? I <laughs> that's a story for another time. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Speaking of the depth of this film, because I think <laughs> I forgot just how genuinely silly this movie is. But what I love about it as a 22 year old woman rewatching it as someone who is no longer um five years old is how much they lean into the silliness like I love that I totally forgot (laughs) that the climax of the film is the dog getting stuck in a hole all of that was just incredible and ridiculous and so intense and it kind of bothered me because truly we have that drama with Dorinda like that should have been the climax when everyone came to help her out and work through things I thought but instead that's literally brushed over by Chanel being like yeah I know how you feel like my mommy won't take me shoe shopping so like I had to do the shopping montage that's critical to every 2000s film about a young woman by myself with her big big credit card like I don't want a mom and Dorinda is literally like I'm in foster care but all that aside, what do you think is the main takeaway slash moral of this film? And why has it resonated with so many young women and men from our generation? Great question, Quinn. Thanks for asking it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> big, big radio host. Thanks so much for your question. Um- <laughs> Okay, like, Kate, no, Kate is the guest this week. Like, Kate <laughs> is just playing the role of guest. <laughs> oh, God. Y'all keep me young. Oh. Okay, no, but seriously, 
I know when we were like talking about it, like, yes, cheesy moments everywhere. There's cheesy moments everywhere, but there are also some moments where I was legit crying. Um, and it was when Dorinda was like, you know, explaining how she's in foster care and like has been trying to hide this whole life that she's ashamed of. It's like, that is a heavy topic that still needs to be addressed today in 2020. And this like movie for children was addressing it in 2003 and like like you just said Quinn I think that should have had way more emphasis but like she got probably the same amount of screen time as Chanel like struggling with her rich mom marrying a rich guy and like yeah you know everyone had their struggles but like why didn't we see more of Aqua's struggles we don't know what her, like, her struggles, like, trying to fit into this city, and, like, you know, moving from the south to the north, and, like, I just feel like most of the, most of the plot, it was centered on, like, surface level problems, and I think that's what frustrated me about the climax, was that, and I, I love that we highlighted, I say, I love that we did that, I wrote the intro, (laughs) I love that I referenced IMDb and talked about um, Deborah Gregory and also the woman who wrote the film and the director of the film, all of them are people of color. All of them are black. And so I thought that they did a really good job of giving us characters that were diverse, but also not one note. This is something that we talked a lot about in Booksmart where it's like, or I guess, I guess we didn't talk about it, but in a couple articles I read, it was like, yes, the diversity was there, the intentions were there, but these characters could just as easily be white. Like, there's no cultural differences. Um, There wasn't any time put into fleshing them out as fully visible POC characters, and I feel the opposite with the Cheetah Girls. You know, we have such a diverse group of women, not only ethnically, but also in terms of socioeconomic backgrounds and class and things. And so I think although the Toto scene is iconic and honestly hilarious, like when he gets off that leash, he is gone. Like that vine where it's like run, bum, 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 bum. That's literally Toto the second that he can get away from Galleria. So like that's funny and iconic. But I was frustrated with the ending because I wanted it to be centered on these female characters that we've come to love so much and have been so well-rounded that we want to see what happens with them. You know, I honestly kind of have mixed feelings on on this. I guess kind of it's, it's helpful for me to hear, hear y'all's perspective, but I feel like it's honestly good. And I, I'd be curious to hear y'all's pushback on this, but I feel like it's honestly good the way in which they present um in particular Dorinda's situation because I I think it would be kind of problematic if the climax of the film was kind of I I feel like it could um create somewhat of like a savior complex if it's like all of the girls coming to um support Dorinda because truthfully like Dorinda's doing I mean like she's in a situation that she for the most part I mean, we don't know much about her situation, but she's close with her foster mom. She has, um, in particular, one foster sister that she's really tight with. And for me, I feel like more so the, the, the obstacle or the adversity that she's facing is how to kind of tell her close friends about this and let them into her, into her circle and into her, uh, her, this, this element of her life. 
Um, and I feel like we see that happen whether or not um, we see her friends handle this super well. I, they, they don't, in my opinion. But I also think that it definitely, I think for me, kind of normalizes this sort of situation. And I think for me, this was some of the, as we said, I think some of my earliest, um, and this is a very privileged perspective to have, but some of my earliest um, exposure to this sort of uh, experience and to be able to, I don't know, other than like, I, I, of course now, like I, I know people that have been through um, the foster system, and, but I feel like having that be very much normalized through a film like The Cheetah Girls and also truthfully normalizing the messiness of having to um, like reveal that to your privileged friends. I honestly think that it shows the imperfection of, and honestly the class divide that exists. Like it very much presents a class divide. So I don't know, especially for a 2003 Disney film, I do think that in terms of intersectionality, it tackles that both class and racial representation, as well as interracial dating and things and just communication across culture. There are definitely some stuff where you're like, oh my gosh, this is problematic and like a microaggression. Like I think about the way that the um, record company kind of handles this like mixed race group and being like, this is now global, like the global get down. And I think that's super problematic. But I also think that like that was intentional by the directors to be like, these are the ways in which women of color are profiled and the box that they have to fit in. And also just sorry to keep talking, but the literal like masking I think the masking of, it's not something I ever realized when I was watching it as a kid, of course, but like the literal placing of masks over um, women of colors in particular and one white woman, but um, someone who's also faced adversity, putting a mask over their face, I feel like is like an underlying message that the that the film is sending. And I'm probably reading a little bit too much into the Cheetah Girls, but that, those were things I was thinking about. No, I think, I think you know, watching it as adults now, we look into these things that we might not have realized as a kid. Because I do think the main takeaway is follow your dreams and work hard because they really emphasize that so much. And this film is following your dreams. But I also think one of the main takeaways is follow your dreams, especially like with your friends and like, be there for each other and you know I think that's a cheesy moral of the story that we see in almost every like Disney movie or like Disney TV show but I think what makes it stand out from other movies and TV shows are the things we're talking about now like the representation the different um characters we see and the dynamics between them and I think you can't find that like as easily today in movies so I think that's why it's resonated with people for so long is because like so many people could relate to these characters and I will say that's a great point Pate and I think that for me as a child growing up in Tennessee in a really white neighborhood and going to really white schools this was the first time especially like in early 2000s Disney Channel world like obviously I was a huge fan of that so Raven and all of that great stuff, but I really feel like the Cheetah Girls was the first time 
that I saw like this multicultural representation of what it was to be a young woman. And I think that that's why it resonates with so much of our generation is because so much of our generation is represented on screen. And it's honestly something, and it makes me sad to say, but I'm trying to think about it, that I don't really think that we see, we've seen since where it's like, not only was this a series of books, but it was also a film. And then it was also a cultural phenomenon. Like when I say that it was the biggest deal ever for me to go see the Cheetah Girls in concert, it it was like in- incredible. Like I was- Wait, like, when did you see them in concert? Um, I saw them in fourth grade. Was, was it four or three of them? them? It was just three of them. But I, I think that that's my takeaway from the film now as a 22 year old woman is- like women of different and diverse backgrounds have so much to offer the world and you really just have to know your worth and stay true to yourself and fight for what you think is right. But as a kid, I think it was like girl power, but also Gallery is kind of mean to her friends. And so I'm glad that we've taken the time to rewatch it. And Paige, I feel like this is a good transition into your question because as much as I'm like all about Aqua, I'm all about Gallery now too. So I'm very interested to see okay so watching this film I like I it's been a while since I've seen it so I was really excited to rewatch it and like you know kind of go back to our childhood and see what we were taught like subconsciously through this story and you know I think you could argue that Galleria is the main character and she's such a pivotal role Um, because she is confident and she's like the self-appointed leader in a sense and at first it works very well but then you can see the power almost goes to her head or she tries to be bossy and like when I was watching this movie and I in my head I was like oh she's being bossy I, I had to stop and be like that word in itself is sexist but I feel like that's what the movie wanted us to think. They wanted us to be like, Galleria is being bossy and that's bad. And so I kind of had a problem with that and found it troubling how the plot turns her confidence into bossiness and almost villainizes her. So I was curious what y'all were thinking while watching it and like, what do you think this conflict between the friends like, how do you think it represents confident women? And like, what do you think it teaches young women watching it? I will say, after watching Cheetah Girls, I then watched Cheetah Girls too, because I love it. And Galleria kind of is able to evolve in those three years when we catch back up with them. I think Cheetah Girls 2 was like 2006. And in that movie, I think that she is portrayed as a much healthier and collective version of herself in that although she may be seen as quote unquote bossy, which like, I love that word when people use it for me now, like I've kind of reclaimed it for myself because I mean, I think that it means that we get shit done, but obviously that's not the connotation that was prevalent in the early 2000s. You know, we see her in Spain being really focused and driven, but also caring about her friends and still being excluded in the end because she really has like this mind of like an entrepreneur. But in this movie, it is problematic, especially because she is a Black woman. I really struggled with that. And then I had to check myself and remind myself, well, this was written by a Black woman. And this is produced and directed by 
people who identify as black or POC. So I will say that since they play freshmen in high school in this movie, which is ridiculous, these women could be my mother. There's no way that they are 13 and 14 years old. I hate to say this because it's so, it like normalizes the patriarchy and I recognize that. So I'm saying that, but it, it felt like things that I had going on with my friends in my friend group and my female friends when I was in middle school or early high school. So I think that in some ways it is an accurate portrayal. I do think that looking at it now, it's messy and at times problematic, but knowing viewing this movie within the context of the three films I think that well I guess she's only in two but I think that we see a better version of Galleria in the second one and that kind of redeems her in this her representation in this first film for me I also think the movie does a good job of showing the vulnerability of Galleria and like how I mean how all of these characters are imperfect and in particular when I mean, I think part of why, spoiler alert, I guess, if you've never watched the Cheetah Girls, but I feel like when, and like, shout out if you're listening and you've never watched it, but um, when she basically steps down and is like, hey, y'all, if y'all want to do this, do it. But like, my, this isn't like, this isn't aligned with my ethics and my morals. And she kind of also recognizes the ways in which she kind of pushed to get to that point through her drive, but then realized that it wasn't for her but then you see her go home and cry to her mom and I think for that I would like that was something I resonated with someone that like can very much put up a front at times and be like I'm gonna get shit done and I have all these aspirations and I want to like get this like get to this point but then kind of realizing like the I think we see the softness of Galleria when she goes home and is just like mom (laughs) like I feel like that was I feel like that is such an important part um and then well also too I I I think I was able to recognize moments and probably this is because of the fact that we end up every episode with a quote so now like when I've been when I watch movies I think of I look for quotable m- moments but I feel like Galleria in particular has so many like awesome girl power or growl power whatever you want to say like quotable moments um where she's just a complete badass and um truthfully like does not her her aspirations like men have nothing to do with them um and that's something that is really good and that's for the most part the case of all of them like they're that this movie is certainly not centered around men. So yeah, I feel like... Quick note, I kind of disagree with that. And that's only because I was really frustrated by how much of a role the guy from Sonic Chaos plays in the third act of this film. I completely forgot that. Let the record show, though, that I knew all the words to the Sonic Chaos song. All that one is one beat, one line, one time, one verse. And okay, But he's the one who's kind of like guiding her towards this emotional reckoning, which on the one hand I like because it shows that young men who are in high school can be mature, can be emotional, um, can have really good instincts when it comes to these things because normally I think in movies you see that reversed. But when it became too much for me was when he was like, oh, well, you know, your friends came for you. They were here for you. You need, he really delivers like the final moral of the film, which is 
well, you're really successful and talented and driven, but is it worth losing your friends over? And that's kind of the moment where she's like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing this bigger picture in this bigger world. Let me get back with my friends. So in the beginning, I didn't have as much of an issue with it, but towards the end, he's really the one that becomes the quote unquote glue, which was just weird. And it felt like he didn't belong in that position of power over the narrative. I think it's it should be I, I totally with good yeah. hair we're talking about. Yeah, he looks yeah. like the main character from Rent. That is so yeah. like, random, but he literally he does. like plays the electric guitar in the middle oh, of no. like, Times Square. But then also raps. No, he okay, so I, I definitely <laughs> agree with you, Quinn, but I also and I also think of something that I didn't pick up on it when I watched the movie as a child, but definitely did now was the element of him just uh, the fact that at one point he goes, oh, y'all are just freshmen. So also he's playing this, like, not only patronizing role, but also, like, literal, like... How old is this man? How old are these children? But also, okay, so he's, uh, like, older. But I will say, and again, like, I feel like whenever we're analyzing these films, we're like, today I noticed this, but when I was a kid, I did it. And I will say that at least, like, when I was a child and I watched this movie, I don't think that this movie at least compared to the other things I was consuming, it's not like the end-all, be-all goal is to have a boyfriend. And I think that that is something that I feel like for me as a child, part of why I liked this movie, truthfully, was just because, like, the goal was friendship and also success. Not, like, it wasn't success based on a relationship with a boy. Um, So I think for me, yes, I agree, because even some of these factors are things that like I didn't even really notice as a child. Um, But I also think it's good that those things oftentimes go unnoticed. Um, And, but I, but definitely important for us to be critical of now. Real quick. One more thing about like Galleria. Sorry. I can't get over the name Galleria because I have a shopping mall near my house named the Galleria. Do y'all have Galleria's in your house? No, but it's, I don't because I live in the north, but that is like Italian for shopping mall, isn't it? Which is hilarious because in the second movie, when she meets, we can cut this out, but in the second movie, when she meets Angel, who she calls Angel, I'm like, just call him Angel. But when she meets him, she's like, my name's Galleria. It's like a big mall where you buy stuff. And I'm like, why are you translating this for him? He simply speaks Spanish. Anyway. Oh my gosh, I never picked up on that, Nelly. I, well, I watched, Thank you. The, I watched the second and third movies after I watched the first one. You watched the third? I watched the third. Um, I don't really know why. Also, it's really bad. Like, I forgot yes. how bad it is. Yeah. It's yes. so bad. It also, I mean, Keely and Raven talked about this on their most recent Instagram live. They were <laughs> Keely was like, it was bad. And I picked up, she, she was like, don't think we didn't notice. It didn't do well because you weren't in it. <laughs> <laughs> Me. Oh also fast. Like, I really truthfully bad. think that last night was the first time I watched it all the way through. So. So bad. <clears throat> well, in Tree Girls 2, like, I forgot how, I feel like Galleria's role as a leader in their band and friend group, like, I think is way more healthy. And I think, like, yeah. as an audience member, you feel sympathy for her in the second movie because, like, they literally flew out to Spain for this competition, and then everyone's like, oh, I'm gonna go dance with this Spanish man. Oh, I'm gonna 
go sing with this like superstar and then aqua's like oh i'm gonna eat these pancakes <laughs> no aqua designs fashion she's a fashion designer oh my god she designs fashion <laughs> 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 i forgot about that i hate that like my first thought was like aqua's just eating over there and galleries trying to get them to study or to do the music it's just Wait, eating pancakes what's the name of the guy that dorinda dances with um, oh my gosh i don't know but it's um i i watched that youtube clip last uh, joaquin night. joaquin okay hey you sexy. really are dorinda because i feel like if joaquin was like if within politics in the states he would definitely be a republican <laughs> Anyways, thanks for listening this week. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> for those of you who haven't listened before or haven't heard us talk about this, but Pate loves a Republican. She loves to hate a Republican or hates to love a Republican, one or the other. Y'all, I'm sorry. It's literally like it, I was born into it, okay? I didn't ask for this life. <laughs> um, we've all been there. Uh, we've all dated Republicans. Um, I'd like the record to show that I'm a libertarian's only girl. <laughs> <laughs> Which is even more embarrassing. Um, okay, well, <laughs> speaking of, I think kind of in, this connects to the question that you asked earlier, Pay, and also um, thinking about Keely and Raven's most recent Instagram Live um, that we watched last night. Wait, um, I love that you're saying most recent as if they do this often. <laughs> <laughs> Their only Instagram live. <laughs> their only they Instagram live. Friends. Simply they their only one. Um, yeah, they simply don't talk, which is w- what brings me to my question. So basically, I was, you know how people say I was today years old? Well, I wasn't today years old. I was actually yesterday years old when I realized that the Cheetah Girls had slash have a lot of backstage drama, like behind the scenes. Uh, and I know, Quinn, you kind of pointed this like brought this to our attention yesterday. How do you think this speaks to the culture that the industry or of the industry and its support of young actors? And what do you think it says? Like, do you think this says something about the Cheetah Girls film franchise, whatever, if they're no longer connected? Like, do you think that that's something we should be considering? I guess. I think for me, it's less about whether or not they have drama because, I mean, at this point, they're grown women. And even when they were in these films, they were young adult women. And so I'm not as fixated on this idea of like, oh, the Cheetah Girls don't get along anymore. That really ruins the concept of the books and the films for me. It's instead the fact that we as a society, myself included, are fixated on that drama. Like instead of being like, these are independent women who portrayed these characters that don't really have much to do with them. Like it is literally their job to bring these to our screens. And they did that and did that really, really well because we're still talking about it 17 years later. I'm disappointed in myself. I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. I'm disappointed in myself and also the culture in which I live in where that drama for some reason like infringes upon the memories and the things that I got from this franchise. However, I will say, like, I don't want it to sound like I'm like, stop canceling people or whatever. Because, I mean, it's obviously very different from, like, an actor like Mel Gibson, who has become 
notorious for being straight up anti-Semitic and racist and a verbal assaulter and physical abuser. Yes, that drama, I think, absolutely transcends his work and it makes it really hard. Well, you shouldn't. I'm sorry. Hot take. That's not hot at all. You shouldn't support people like that. But I don't like when so when that that stuff is magnified i'm like yeah absolutely totally makes sense relevant to his career changes the way that i see him in the movies that i consume but with this stuff with the cheetah girls answering the question about the culture of the industry obviously i can't speak to that i'm in murfreesboro tennessee i am simply not famous but again i think the fact that we're all so interested in this narrative of like, oh my gosh, they hate each other, they're backstabbing, blah, 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 speaks to the fact that it's really hard for people to see women as genuine friends, even if they were just acting it. Like, that, that was their only job. I'm not friends with all my friends from Rita's Italian Ice anymore, and no one's getting mad at me. So what's the difference? Actually, I am mad at you for that. Quinn, why aren't you <laughs> friends with your shaved ice coworkers? <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh my god, we're laughing so much this episode. Uh, well, I mean, I agree with that point, Quinn. I think, like, these young women, I don't know how old they were when they were actresses in this film. I mean, they looked like they were teenagers. They didn't look like they were freshmen in high school, but they did look like teenagers. And I think they did their job as actresses really well and portrayed the story um very well to the best of their ability and you know I don't know the extent of their drama but I think as actresses they did their job very well I mean there's nothing in their contract that says they have to be friends right no I guess like my reason for asking the question is just thinking about and again like Quinn said we simply do not know because we're not in it but just thinking about the ways in which the not only like the industry supports like young people particularly young women um, or doesn't support. And then also, I, I also think truthfully, I feel like I've seen this, I've seen this come up like recently just in reading into this, like thinking about all the stuff that came up with like Leah Michelle and things like that. Oftentimes when there's uh, drama or conflict between cast members, oftentimes like the director and the producers won't really do anything about it because they're like, this will be good for the, for the screen. And so for me, I'm like, I just think, even though I think the Cheetah Girls is so well done, um, I'm like, it's disappointing that it basically fostered a culture that, I don't think it fostered a culture that pitted women against each other, but for whatever reason, it did not support these women in their relationships with one another. And, and I think really truthfully, from what I can tell, I, I, I think we know very little about their conflict, but it does seem like it, it's what there was trauma surrounding it. And I just think that, and this is not specific to the Cheetah Girls at all. And I also think the racial component is why we're really hard on them in their conflict. Because I don't think that we're nearly as hard on white actors who are very much divas in their, in their, um, in their careers. But I guess it's just to say that, and it's, it's definitely very common with Disney, but just that people will not make it to a certain point in the industry because they are burnt out from a very young age and unsupported. So it's just something I was thinking about, especially kind of uh, reading and watching into the, the conflicts between them. And it's just sad because like we said, 
it's not their job to be friends with each other, but also I think you do very much romanticize their friendship on screen and you want that to be the case off screen. But of course that doesn't have to be the case. So. No. Yeah. I think that's actually a really good point. And I didn't think about that. So, and like the irony that the whole point of the movie is like, you shouldn't compete with like your female friends because when y'all come together, that's when you're most powerful. But like how much can we actually like, take that into account if it wasn't even happening on the actual set of the movie and like you said we don't know for sure what exactly was happening but if what you're trying to preach isn't being put into practice on set like how do you expect other people to learn from that right and I felt kind of conflicted even writing this question because it's nothing we've tackled in the past like we've never been like is this movie feminist and was it made in a feminist way? Like, I don't think we were like, behind the scenes, were they also feminist? Like, and again, we haven't even tackled that question, but I think, I do think it's worthwhile to consider. But I'm like, I'm, I think I'm trying, I'm trying to be self-critical as well, thinking about why is it that I feel the urge to ask this question specifically with this movie and not with others, you know? I was going to say, as you were speaking, Nellie, I agree with Pate, that was kind of like an aha moment. Because honestly, celebrity culture and gossip and drama has kind of transcended a lot of our culture and it permeates everything that we consume. So in a way, this drama is part of popular culture. So it makes sense to me that we're discussing it. Right. And it reminds me of the Gone Girl episode where we discussed how we have a hard time perceiving Amy once the film is all said and done. And I think that some of that... um, applies to this situation because so rarely, especially in the 2000s, were we as young women and we as a greater collective society given the opportunity to see strong, empowered young women be friends and be really good at what they were doing and really talented and knowing that and claiming that. And as you said, Nellie, having their focus be on their friendship and their art. That's something that we don't see a lot of even today. And so I think that it's easy to put that pressure on these women and really, really want for them to be friends in real life because the Cheetah Girls is one of the only pillars of representation of like strong, cohesive female friendship that's at times messy and problematic, but at the end, those bonds um, overcome all of the drama and everything. I think it makes sense that we as young women want that to be real because we don't see that in popular culture and media and we don't think of these things when we see like movies with like five men who are best friends we're not like oh I wonder if they hang out like I've never that's never crossed my mind but whenever I see movies like Bridesmaids or The Cheetah Girls or Ice Princess I'm like oh my god I hope they're friends um Ice Princess I really want Michelle Trachtenberg and Hayden Panettiere to be friends and that's that's all I'm going to say. I know that both of them are huge fans and listeners to the podcast. So ladies, let's come together. If you'd ever like to be guests, I'd really appreciate it. You that. do strike me as an Ice Princess stan. I had Ice Princess on VHS. I loved her. I loved it. Okay. So final question, because we're rambling a lot and this is such a long episode already. And Nellie, I'm so sorry that you have to edit this. But overall umbrella question, is this movie feminist? And going back to Nellie's earlier point, can a movie be feminist if it did not foster an environment for women to have healthy relationships with one another? I think the movie is feminist. I think it is one of the most diverse 
movies we've seen with hard-hitting real-life issues and it was literally a Disney Channel movie in 2003 for children and like of course it's not perfect like I say almost every episode we're never going to find a perfect movie there's always going to be issues somewhere I think and if you think you found the perfect movie please let us know and we can we can watch it um, but I think it really was like groundbreaking and very important for young women to witness it at a young age. Cause I think like, like I said, each character had, I think a pivotal role. And I think when you witness someone like these women that are this confident and this passionate and, you know, love each other on screen, I think that can have a great impact. Um, I don't know what to say about if we can call it feminist, if it wasn't a feminist environment. I think that's really tough to make a call about because I don't know like how it was for those actresses. Um, I would be interested to hear what you two brilliant women have to say. I think the movie is feminist. I think it represents female friendship um, in in the messiness that it is. Um, I think that it shows strong women and kind of the way that, and also highlights the ways in which they're perceived by society. And also if you're looking at it through a self-critical lens, you're able to be thinking about why you perceive women this way. And I think that not only is the movie feminist, but it also causes you to reflect on your own feminism. And as well as like being intersectionally feminist um, as we've said, like through race and socioeconomic representation. I don't know. It's hard. Of course, I asked this question, but I don't really know necessarily where I stand on it. I think that a, I think a movie can be feminist if the environment isn't feminist. But I definitely think that we should be thinking critically about the environment. Because I think truthfully, like, it's hard because we don't want to like have the, like we said, like the drama between the cheetah girls. We don't want to have that take away from the impact it's had and like which has been a relatively positive impact but also it's tough that like this feminist movie the feminist movie has like done so much for its viewers but basically has like I said earlier essentially inflicted trauma on the people that participated in it so it's just I don't know I think that like I said a movie can be feminist without fostering that environment but that just sucks that that's the case and I think it's an important thing to I think it's worthwhile that we talked about it on this episode. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, I think this movie is feminist because it's like one of my favorite films, non-ironically. And I think that it was like formative for me as a kid to see these women. Like I always kind of credit the beginning of my feminism to the chick song, Earl Had to Die. But now watching this, I really think that it might be the Cheetah Girls. And again, I say that unironically. I think Earl I- had to die. I'm sorry. That's just not what it's called. <laughs> called. Goodbye, Earl. Oh. Y'all know what. <laughs> sorry. We know what Quinn thinks about when she thinks about Earl. That's what the right. chick think too. <laughs> I'm trying to make a joke that Quinn's a murderer, but that didn't come off as funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Um. So yes, I think this film is feminist, but I will definitely be thinking more critically about the environment in which films are made going forward. So I appreciate this conversation. I also just wanted to name, um, like, not only I feel like does this film have a, like, special place in my heart in terms of, like, 
formative female friendships and things like that but also I feel like it's just like a feel-good film and I used to cry to it um, when I was sick <laughs> the weirdest parts like Pate said the parts where she cried which are totally reasonable but I feel like I, I would cry when they saved Toto which is fucked up but literally right. I would be like sick in my bed with the flu and watching Cheetah Girls and like crying and also low-key the other night when they saved Toto I also cried again I don't know what happens I always cry at the most absurd parts of movies oh um Nellie on your notes you were like oh my gosh I cried when um oh when Chanel was like promise me we'll get it's a penthouse together and I was like you were like this part always makes me cry and I'm like this is rude they're intentionally leaving out the other two I think I was emotional because I was saying this to Quinn before um before you hopped on Zoom today I think I was getting emotional because this past week I was able to like see friends which I hadn't in so long so I think I was like coming off of that energy and literally being like oh my god cry <laughs> like let me cry I was like I want to live in a penthouse with my friends which that simply will never happen living in a penthouse Mm-mm. but living with my friends ideally one day and I will be in my childhood bedroom shout out to my parents though thanks for letting me live here also take a shot every time Dorinda does a freaking aerial I know that's like is that actually her do we know that for sure yeah also, Shout out. It's, it's probably I'm her done. one trick she can actually do, and she does it five times. Okay, now, as we've been doing in our most recent episodes, we would like to finish out today by plugging a few resources. So, as most of you all, I hope, are aware, Jacob Blake was shot seven times by Kenosha, Wisconsin police on Sunday night in front of three of his six children. Protests have broken out across the state, and two people have been killed. Blake miraculously survived, but is partially paralyzed and still fighting for his life. Please consider donating to his official GoFundMe page to donate to him and his family and help with his recovery. The GoFundMe link is www.gofundme.com slash F slash justice for Jacob Blake. If you want to donate to help the protesters in Kenosha, donate to the Milwaukee Freedom Fund. Furthermore, if able to continue to donate to bail funds across the country and other resources and organizations that support Black lives and those protesting. Although the officers involved in Blake's shooting were put on administrative leave, you can still call or email local officials in Kenosha to demand they are held fully responsible. So to contact the Kenosha City Attorney, please dial 262-653-4170 or email webcityattorney at kenosha.org, or the city attorney, Edward Antaramian, at eantaramian at kenosha.org. Um, you can contact the Kenosha mayor and city administration by dialing 262-653-4000, or email mayor at kenosha.org, or info at kenosha.org. Um, the Kenosha Police Non-Emergency Line is 262-656-1234 and the Wisconsin Department of Justice is 608-266-1221. When you call or email you can say something along the lines of hi my name is first and last name and I'm calling to demand justice for Jacob Blake who was shot multiple times on Sunday August 23rd. I demand that and then say what you think. Um, I would say that the Uh, that the officers are held fully responsible and put in jail, Um, but definitely say 
all your demands. We will be sharing some additional kind of resources surrounding action items for this on our Instagram, um, including these phone numbers in emails written out. <laughs> um, so if you would prefer to copy and paste them, that is fine, that is fine too. Thank y'all. Please continue to stay active and demand justice. Before we wrap up um, with our end quote, I just want to say a huge thank you to Quinn um, and uh, good luck as you, uh, I don't know why I'm struggling. sound like we're never going to talk again. Well, I'm going to see you significantly less on Zoom. I don't know. Just good luck as you embark on your new adventure. You're going to crush it. Um, and we're so proud of you. And we hope that you'll come back in the hopefully somewhat near future. Um, but we'll miss you. Even though I miss you regardless because we are simply not in the same place <laughs> i also miss you Paige. <laughs> yeah i'm crossing my fingers and my toes that i'll be able to do this more regularly maybe a month or two down the line but i can't wait to hear nelly and Paige continue to crush these conversations i'm so excited there's some really cool things coming down the pipe and listen along with me now we can all fangirl together because i myself will be a fan so to end, wrap up this like three hour episode of complete chaos, um, today's quote of the day is, if he can't respect my art, he can't have my heart. Galleria. And that's me talking about my memes that I make and then post on Snapchat and nobody responds to them or thinks that they're funny. Um, at all of you men, all three of you who are friends with me on Snapchat, none of y'all can have my heart. I know you guys were really pining over it. I know I'm a really hot commodity, um, but you don't respect my art. So please work on that. Um, it's you being famous on LinkedIn. That's what that's about. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, should I check the, the like, num the number of likes? Yeah, right? for those of you, you should plug your LinkedIn. <laughs> for yeah, those of you who don't LinkedIn. know, Quinn is famous on LinkedIn because she's gotten like a thousand likes on her job announcement. As of today, I have 1,150 likes and 66 comments. And all of these people keep messaging me being like, can you help me network? And I'm like, I'm 13. I don't know how I got this job either. Like, I'm 13? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Okay. And I had no idea. Like, can I was you in the presence. You should copy the, the podcast person. link. Copy and paste the podcast link into that specific post so all 1,000 people listen. <laughs> <laughs> me being like how can we how can we get this how can we ramp up the podcast through this <laughs> huge gallery of energy yeah seriously plug your, like your plug your linkedin quinn it's quinn Needham. <laughs> um and if you email me about networking advice i'm sure you're a really nice person and i wish you all the best i have done so this has been Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. Thank you for listening. I'm going to go cry. Oh, bye. Bye.